computer. This is data. I'm an android. I'm a... basketball? I was processing all of the information. Processing. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z. Joined as always by Tim, aka Rangers McBasketball. And Tim, we finally got a very good win against a good team. Um, we're shades of. The old Lakers team rotating on defense. They weren't perfect, but big Utah win. Uh, they almost blew it in the third quarter there, but Utah kind of doesn't look like they're uh, playing as well as they were during that 18-game win streak to start the season, but it's still a good win, and, you know, I must be, I felt good, and then, you know, we'll talk more about it later. Then Twitter decides to, you know, Frank, I think Frank probably leaked the story about, you know, I'm on the hot seat, and I just got this win, you know, so... Weird times in Lakers nation, but the basketball looked better the other night, at least. It did. It did. Lakers with a pretty big win, maybe a little bit of shooting luck on the Utah side of things for a team that takes more threes than I think anybody and is generally making more threes than just about anyone. They were not hitting them. Uh, like Jordan Clarkson 0 for 6, Donovan Mitchell 0 for 8, Bogdanovich 0 for 4. So that helps a little bit, but it still looked decent. And it was, you know, you could see the process behind what the Lakers were doing on defense. We saw a team that, like you mentioned, was rotating pretty well. I think Melo not playing helped with that a bit. And, and we saw them switching For a sure. bunch. And you can't just, like, within basketball strategy, it's not just like, all right, we're going to switch everything solved. Like, switching has its own weaknesses. And you'll see teams, like, beat switching by slipping ball screens. And we saw in that game, the Lakers be very aware of that and like do everything they could to take away those slips while still swishing. And just those little things on the margins from a technique standpoint to elevate the scheme. And then, you know, whenever they would give up a mismatch on the ball or in the post, they did a pretty good job of scramming out of those situations and, and using off ball switches to prevent mismatches from being a mismatch for like, 10, 15 seconds. It was more for like three, four seconds. So little stuff on the margins. You can see like Frank Vogel had a a post-game comment about like, you know, we're putting in all the work. We're working tirelessly. You can see the process. The results will be there. Like you just kind of have to trust in that. And we're seeing that a bit. And, you know, it resulted in a good win. I like the fact that Stanley Johnson played 24 minutes. I like Mm -hmm. the fact that Austin Reeves played 21. I thought he could have played more. Um, I did not like the fact that we saw Trevor Ariza play like an 11 minute stint. Like Ariza's minutes, I'm okay with. I don't think he should be playing like 10 minutes at a time. That's a bit much for him. Like you can see he looks a little gassed. So there are just some little tweaks rotationally that I think can make a difference. But I liked what we were seeing and it looked pretty good. And, and it's a good bounce back after a couple not great losses. And I think the Lakers have some winnable games ahead. So they can, I think they can continue or, or kind of correct their trajectory a bit here. And hopefully AD's back potentially as soon as Sunday. We'll see. Um, but having him back, I, I don't know. I'm still kind of holding on tight to the the idea that this team can be really good. And we see glimpses of it and a little bit roster tweaking, get your star guy back and you're, you know, in pretty good shape and nobody wants to play you. I don't know what the seed will be, but nobody's going to play this team if they're healthy. 
No, for sure. Um, a couple interesting things that you mentioned too. I did think about Mello not being available in this game in the past few games, as this was kind of the expression of the ceiling of the team where they don't play someone like Mello at the forward position for 20 minutes a game, that they can come in and be switchy and not be, you know, they, they had this lineup in particular, Tim, that, you know, saved the game for them. They got extra minutes long into the fourth, you know, like Russ and Bradley didn't come in until like the, the four, three and a half minute mark. But mm -hmm. yeah. this Austin Reeves, THT, Stanley Johnson, Malik Monk, LeBron lineup. It makes sense. <laughs> I like it. I like the vision. I want more of it. It makes sense. What were you they, seeing with that group? They went on two, three separate runs throughout the game. They went on a 7-0 run. Uh, it kind of started when LeBron was on the bench um, and Ariz was still out there. But 7-0 run, a 13-1 run, and then they went on a 13-0 run again in the fourth quarter. It was switchy. They were, um, yeah, having help man dive on the, the catch for the double team and also taking advantage of the fact that Rudy Gobert, yeah, he, he got a decent amount of points in this game. But yeah, when he shoots in the 80%, it's those plays where he can't even catch the ball, go to the rim um, that mm -hmm. they took away. And I thought Mitchell looked apparently he's in concussion protocols. He got like a concussion in the second quarter and kept playing. He looked off. Clarkson, I thought a lot of his struggles was due to Reeves and some of the switchy yep. length of uh, the defense in those lineups. So I don't mm -hmm. think it was just a bad shooting performance. He did miss some open shots, but a lot of them were very tough, you know, double pump trying to get some space because the guy's all over you shots. Um, yeah, I, I liked that on ball defense. I thought the help defense was fantastic, particularly with that group that you mentioned. Like, Monk is a guy who's rotating really well. Reeves is a guy who rotates really well. LeBron rotates pretty well in terms of like defending the rim, making those first rotations. Um, Stanley Johnson rotates pretty well. It, it, like there's there's good defense there. Who was the fifth guy? Oh, THT. And THT actually had some nice rotations as well. I think mm -hmm. he's, I mean, it could just be a blip, but he, he had a pretty decent game from a rotation standpoint. So, uh, you know, that all together along with the on-ball defense and you've got a little bit of size there for some rebounding and just being able to go against a team that again, like Utah who dictates a lot of their offense on the actions that they run more so than one V one play, being able to switch those actions and negate them really th throws them off the rhythm. And then suddenly Jordan Clarkson has to do more than he's, he needs to normally do. Suddenly Donovan Mitchell has to be, you know, more of an ISO guy than he generally is. And that can really throw a team off. So that's, you know, something the Lakers offense is a little bit resilient to because they have those 1v1 scoring options and something that's a weakness in Utah's game just based on how they generally run their team. It's not to say that having a system, having good sets isn't good, but you want to be able to do that while also having good 1v1 options. And, and they don't quite, you know, they haven't gotten to that point where it's a well-oiled machine when they have to, you know, just go beat someone in a mismatch. So yeah, I, I like a really good call out by you. And, you know, I'd love to see more of that lineup. And I really like the fact that, I mean, Russell Westbrook played 27 minutes in this game. Is this yeah. like, is this a start of us? Like, is this, is, you know, as limited as his time gets, he's never going to get benched, but if he's playing less than 30 minutes, is this a way to mitigate some of him trying to do too much? Is this a way to, you know, give him a chance to not quite completely rest, but not be as extended as he has been offensively in the past and give some other more positive players uh, an opportunity to play?
Yeah. Again, the mellow piece of this is huge. That's it's not mm-hmm. just going to be Russ. It's got to be some of these other guys as well. Um, and if it's true and they want to be this big, you know, buy in, win a championship, certain matchups, some of these guys just don't make any sense. Um, if you're going to go in the playoffs with Carmelo Anthony and Russell Westbrook having to play X amount of minutes, it's not the Swiss Army knife this team needs, and they have too many attackable people out there to be able mm-hmm. to to beat a good team four times in seven games. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, and, yeah. And, like, Melo's been good as a three-point shooter. Like, sure. this was the case for him last year, too. It's, it's like he's got this really high-level skill set. When it's clicking, it's awesome, and we love it. But his game, big picture, including his defense, which is a key piece of this, means that his overall impact isn't at the level you need it to be for this team to succeed, especially given how their roster makeup is and the the, the, the screen coverages they're running. So it's, I mean, not what every fan out there may want to see, but Melo playing much less or Melo not playing is going to enable this team and, and Russ playing a bit less is going to enable this team to just put out more guys who are just, you know, a positive more guys that are just good. Like Reeves Johnson, those are good players. They're going to yeah. do the little things and you don't need to have, like you don't have to run out Carmelo Anthony and you don't have to have Malik Monk doing a, you know, a bunch of being an ISO score. It's nice when he does, but getting him in a role that works for him, having these other guys working and then letting LeBron take his 20 shots like he did in this game, letting Russell Westbrook, uh, you know, get to the rim and and just, I don't know, it, there's a formula here. I see yeah. it. I believe in it. And once AD's back, I think we're going to really start to see those results click into place. I'm not, I don't, I hate how like, and, and I'm a little bit different because I fall asleep during some of these games because I'm in Texas. I'm not in, in California. So like, if a game's starting at 10, like I'm not going to watch the whole game if it's like on a weeknight. Um, so I wake up, I look at the box score. It's like, oh, we lost by five. I look at Twitter and it is the end of the world. <laughs> Everybody needs to be traded. Everybody needs to be cut. Frank needs to be fired. Rob needs to be fired. Jeannie needs to sell the team. Every single time we lose, you know, every, you know, I follow a bunch of folks who cover other teams and every day they're like, wow, you know, the Lakers fans are having another meltdown spaces every day. We've got players, relatives in there. Like it's just life or death with some of this. And if you just step out of the echo chamber a little bit, I'm, you know, I still see the process and I still see how this can be quickly turned around without drastic measures needing to be taken. Um, But the more time I spend on Twitter, the more I'm like, yeah, we need these drastic measures. So it's just as that, that experience I think can, can really differ based on what your perspective is and, and how you're going about this. And I know hopefully for the team, they're not living on Twitter or they're might, you know, they're probably freaking out too. So it's usually, usually they categorize that as outside noise and we don't listen to that. You know, we're us, we're going to, we're going to do our thing and stick together. Um, But it is, you know, desperate times out there right now in the Twitterverse. Yeah, it's especially with the vocal news that dropped the other day after the biggest win of the season, which is, you know, unfortunate timing for this team to try and build up some positive goodwill and consistency. But um, I just wanted to shout out and bring up Stanley Johnson before we finish this little part of the pod. Um, He played like the last like 16 minutes of the game consecutively. Uh, A lot of people I was talking to on Twitter were mad that, you know, Reeves got subbed out for uh, Bradley and Westbrook with... uh, but that at the end there, because they were doing so good. Reese came in and like played like a full quarter from the end of the third to so 
It's like mm-hmm. you do have to give these guys a rest at some point. He plays yeah. so hard and, and, you know, rotates and makes the right play to expect him to do that for 15 straight minutes. But Stanley Johnson did. And he made, what, four consecutive buckets against Rudy Gobert, catching in space, uh, in transition, getting the and one, you know, shrugging off the contact, getting an offensive rebound getting an assist that kind of iced the game for that Bradley three. And this guy's out there doing more than what we expected from someone like Trevor Ariza while still providing some of the things we did expect from Trevor Ariza. So he does a little bit of everything and um, I'm not sure this is totally true. I think the reason he's not on a full contract yet is because he can actually make more money on like three, 10 days and then the full contract for the season. Like, I don't know. I don't I, know. I think I know that's that the case. It I gives think the team more f- flexibility from a trade standpoint. For sure. Well, and, and, and but I do think it actually helps him. I don't think they're like shortchanging him or stringing okay. him along, I guess, is where mm-hmm. uh, I should have looked that up before I said it. Sorry. But um, it, <laughs> I, I don't think know. he's at least making the same amount. I don't, sure. I don't think it, it. Yeah, I don't think he's like sacrificing right now so that the Lakers can like try to trade for Ben Simmons or something. That's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be hard to um, work him into lineups with both AD and LeBron, I think, I don't, as the three. I don't think so. You I, don't think offensively, so? Well, no, I guess it really depends if his threes are falling. And right now they haven't been falling all that well. So if you've got like Russ, AD, and Johnson on the floor together, you can have some problems. If he's able to be the theoretical spacer – you know, stationary catch and shoot, hit open threes, it can work offensively and then defensively. I mean, I think in that instance, you just slide LeBron back to the three and have him be in like a helper role. And I I think that works as long as he's not guarding like a scoring wing. I don't have a huge problem with that. And if he is, maybe you switch him and Johnson. I mean, you know, we had the report come out about Rambis asking to play more Dwight and more DJ. So... I don't know. Like we did start Dwight in this game and Mm -hmm. I didn't think he was particularly good. I don't, I don't know if it was all him. I think it was the team kind of dynamic in those lineups. They were, they were negative through the first quarter, through the uh, third quarter. um, And they were part of the reason that they gave up the lead there in that terrible Mm -hmm. third quarter. So. Yeah. And and like, if you're not switching Utah's offense, they're going to score points. Like they're, they're, they will generate advantages and sometimes they won't hit the shots, but like, a switch defense is how you want to approach this team. And Dwight just doesn't stylistically fit into that as much. So credit to Vogel for adjusting quickly and, Mm -hmm. you know, pulling uh, and letting that lineup, that switchy lineup, uh, play an extended amount of time because these are some Mm -hmm. of the things that have frustrated us about him in the recent memory. And he didn't. You know, he yes, he came back with Bradley and Westbrook, but at that point, you know, you almost have to. It's so late in the game, and they did end up, you know, positive at the end there, uh, with Russ making that big and one, and um, so and it's funny, like Russ, he had so many like highlights from this game, but I don't think he actually had a great game. And they had 15 points and three assists. But he had the he mopped up the floor. <laughs> he did that. <laughs> he uh, obviously posterized Gobert with one of the dunks of the year. Um, and he had that no, 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 yes moment at the end with the mm-hmm. N one layup, you know, where it's just like maybe we need a little bit more rust chaos. Uh, once we get the around surrounding pieces a lot more stable, 
and you're not worrying about having one forward that's not LeBron James. Um, you know, now we have Trevor Reza and Stanley Johnson and mellows out and it's not as bad, right? Mm-hmm. You can play some switchy yeah, lineups. Yeah, it's it's always been like like Russ will play, and even if like if you're if you're having discussions right now, you're you're arguing with people about whether or not he's worth forty million dollars. Like we're not arguing with you, but he's on the team, and this team should be good enough, and we've seen them be able to be good enough that via lineup construction and rotation minutes and scheme and everything, you're able to kind of withstand some of those bad Russ plays or him underperforming in specific ways. Right. Also benefiting from the, the positive he brings to the floor and then still be, you know, a winning basketball team. And when you aren't when you don't have the Arizas and Johnsons and you're you're running out their lineups that just like they're you, they need Russell Westbrook to be a $40 million guy, it's not going to work and we can all point finger, fingers at him. But when that you know infrastructure is there a bit more, it may not be pretty every day. Some days he he will be hot and it's going to look great. Some days he's going to have eight turnovers. Some days he's going to have no turnovers. Um, but he, you know it's good enough and and he's able to constantly pressure teams and like open things up for others. And then like you said, you know cleaning up on the boards. He led the Lakers in rebounds for that game. That stuff helps. Um, and and it can be you know as a team you just have to be good enough that you know. Some days, in spite of Russ, you're winning. Other days, Russ is really going to help you win. And so there's just a variance there that you have to build your your floor up high enough so that right. when the Russ variance is, is swinging the wrong way, you're still able to be good. Like when you're, it's like when we're on, you need to be great. When you're off, you need, you just need to be better. And right now, that is about more than just Russ. And and it comes down to you know playing Reeves, playing Johnson, not playing Melo. Some of those little things. And I think there's even more opportunity playing Reeves more, starting Reeves potentially. And we'll see if the team can improve anything via trades. But there's there's still opportunity here for the team to to improve that infrastructure over the coming weeks. Oh, my God. If Avery Bradley wasn't playing 20, 25 minutes a game and, and Austin Reeves was starting, like you would, I would immediately feel better about this team. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, this is where, you know, we've, we've had our problems with Frank all year. We've talked about it. Avery Bradley, DeAndre Jordan, you know, not, you know, realizing how much these guys are hurting when the numbers say it and you just say, no, no, I trust my eyes. Like you, you it's also, I, how do you trust the eye anyway? Put that aside. <laughs> yes. Start Reeves immediately. He's an amazing glue guy. He tries, he's going to go out there and do you know look at his stat line you would think same thing as caruso back in the day you think this guy you know barely did anything out there he's got like an offensive rebound like four rebounds like an assist but it's like the assist came at a big time with that backdoor cut to lebron that was just a great bounce pass <laughs> helped to get lebron in space going to the rim you know the tip in by it was huge as well momentum mm-hmm. giver to the the crowd um the defense you know Stuff yeah. where he would force a turnover but not get credit for it because somebody like, threw a like high he's, pass. He's like to take a charge. Yeah. And, and the offense has to get rid of the ball early or they'd be, you know, committing a charge. So he gets no credit anywhere, but he is the one that caused the bad play. And he did take a charge, you know, against mm-hmm. Clarkson with a little push off. That's what's so great about a guy like Reeves, like Caruso. These guys who are matched up against them, it starts to get like, God damn this fucking guy still here give you a little nudge you get frustrated you try and create space that's how you get some of these offensive fouls that's the kind of player they are it's just an ultimate glue guy um 
So shouts to Reeves. Absolutely start Reeves. He is you know, been one of the few bright spots in a challenging season, but some, you know, if, if THT can maintain his defensive level and start hitting a reasonable amount of shots and Reeves and Johnson and Monk is coming in as a microwave scorer, every couple games get hot, you know, maybe three games in a row, give you some, some time off the bench. I don't think this team needs the mellow as much as they, they, uh, they should, you know, not should, but we're, planning on um yeah it's you can get high quality looks for just about any of the shooters you want it doesn't like Melo's getting high quality looks he's converting but defensively it's just not there and the drop off in three-point shooting from Melo to some of these other guys is worth the defensive upgrade and the and the fact that they do those little things and they're going to have much better rebounding tendencies which is something that hurts this team and in Russ and LeBron are two guys that are you know big culprits of it so if they're not going to change, you're not going to take them out of the rotation. You need guys around them that are doing the right things and having the right habits. Because I don't know at this point it's right to expect them to, you know, 40 games in suddenly realize, oh, LeBron, you, you're not boxing out. You need to start boxing out. Um, so just at least putting the guys in that are, you know, embodying those behaviors allows the team overall to succeed. So I don't know. It's Russ versus, I'm sorry, uh, Reeves versus Bradley. I look at him head to head and like Reeves is a really good on-ball defender. Bradley's got that great on-ball defender reputation and he's been decent, but off-ball, they are miles apart. As spacers, I mean, Avery Bradley and Russell Westbrook have the fourth and and fifth highest three-point shot quality in the NBA this season. You know, that, that should say something. This is the starting backcourt around LeBron James isn't being guarded. <laughs> and, and, yet, and like if if uh, Avery Bradley were an average three-point shooter with the quality he's getting, he'd be shooting like 42, 43% on threes. The fact that he's shooting 38% on its own does not mean that he's, you know, a really good floor spacer. Put Reeves in that position. Reeves is going to be shooting 40% on threes. Um, so like there's, it can be better. Just the fact that the Lakers aren't losing every game and, and Bradley doesn't have a minus 20 plus minus every game. Like we can see what, you know, we can watch the game, look at the better data and identify where these opportunities are. It doesn't need to be back against the wall in order to make a change. We all know deep down is the right change to make. So like offensively, he's got a better handle. He can actually run a ball screen. He can, you know, run a play in transition. He's got better rebounding tendencies. He's more efficient. He's a better three-point shooter. He finishes better at the rim. Defensively, he's so much better off ball as a defender. On ball, he's solid. And then in ball screens, Bradley's a little bit better, but I don't think that one little advantage that he has is worth the big picture, um, you know, starting him over Reeves and playing him what did he play? 26 minutes in this game where he's only had 21. We need to flip, flip that. that. Yeah. And I'm Absolutely. not saying Bradley needs to never play. Like he he will play, but he needs to be playing like 18 minutes. I mean, I don't minutes. know, man. I know none had a setback, but if none's available, I don't think Bradley should play. I agree with that. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. He, a yeah. lot of this is like I, we're not there available. yet, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I see. I mean, if AD's back and none is back. I don't see a need to have Melo or Bradley play. Yeah, with if I mean Ariza does, he has some moments. Where he still looks kind of he looks kind of toast. It's he had a little bit of more of a bounce in his step the other night, you know. But maybe it was kind of just playing with the four young guys in that lineup at the center. He, he needs like fifteen to twenty minutes. Yeah, in, in like in short stints. Yeah, definitely I think not eleven minute right stints, through. like you said. 
Yeah, he can give you three, like, five to six minute stints and be fine. I, I have no problem with that. And and I think, I don't know, it, this might just be me seeing what I'm anticipating seeing and having some confirmation bias, but it seems like his play drops off later, into like, deeper into his, his stints. So that there's some opportunity to keep the minutes, just have them be higher quality minutes just based on how you shake things up. Um, one thing you said earlier, uh, you know, people trusting their eyes, that, that stood out to me. This is something that I mentioned yesterday in, in the Discord private server where I was giving a uh, little mini coaching clinic. Um, and we went over s- some basics of like offensive positioning, shell defense, creating gaps and exploiting gaps and just some like basic fundamental X's and O's type stuff. But one thing I talked about in the beginning with regard to like film watching tendencies and why it's important is like as a coach or as an analyst, talk to anyone who's going to be honest with you. They'll if they're worth their shit at all. They will tell you, I see like 10 times more watching film, rewatching a game, being able to rewind, fast forward, slow motion compared to watching live, whether you're watching on TV or on the sideline or in the stands, like every single game, I'm, you know, there will be things that I see that might be wrong or I'm missing that I then, you know, see later on in like um, you know, Frank's going to see on the bus or on the plane on, on Frank force one, when they're flying back to LA, um, you, you know, these are things that you, sh- you, you just see better when you're able to like remove yourself from the emotion of the game and, and, you know, rewind fast forward and all that stuff. And so I don't trust my eyes. You shouldn't trust your eyes. Like we're going to see a lot of the game, but we're not going to see all the game, especially for defense. So when a big piece of Avery Bradley's game is his defense, and reputation is as important as it is to influencing what we see peripherally, you have to realize that you can't trust your eyes with this and you have to go back and watch the film because the film doesn't lie, but your eyes are going to lie watching live. But like, if you say he does watch the film, then why is Bradley starting every game he's available? Frank force one. They need to, they need to figure that out. I don't, (laughs) I don't have a good answer. Avery Bradley colored glasses here. Yeah. So, and I mean, this is why fans are partly frustrated. And I think we've talked about how the vault lies in part with Frank, but in part with the front office and the roster that they gave him. Um, And, you know, the roster hasn't turned over except for Rondo. You know, we did a couple of of, uh, two-way in and outs, but Seiko Dumboya's back from the start of the season. Um, you know, it's it not, and this is haven't even mattered on the parent team yet. They haven't really gotten any time. Mm-hmm. It's just been the 10 day contracts. Your Stanley Johnson, who's the only one who's really stuck around, right? Which made it all worth it. Like, if the Lakers don't get a COVID streak and they don't find Stanley Johnson, we're in a much worse place right now. Um, these guys are hard to find. And Stanley Johnson is, has, played himself into a nice little, you know, above G league contracts here, even after this season, I think, um, because the lights are brighter in LA. I think other teams will see this and say like, Oh, we can use a guy, this glue guy. If he's willing to play like this, you know what I mean? There's some, there's value in that position. So anyway, it's, it's looking a little bit better. And despite the, the public noise from, you know, all the hoopla that went down yesterday, I still think that, Vogel finished the season. I, I always kind of thought he would because, you know, handing the keys to Fisdale is is just I don't think what is they think is needed. Um and I and I think I agree. Yeah. But yeah, they gotta they've been working on Frank to get him to change some of his ways. They gotta you know what I mean? 
Well, and part of it is like we don't know who's doing what. Like we heard the Dallas situation where the front office was dictating certain lineups or schemes to run. We don't know mm-hmm. what that looks like in this case because we have a coach that entered the season in a situation where he was not extended past this year. That is no job security. This is the same coaching staff or not the exact same, but like Vogel took the job that Ty Lue wouldn't take. And, and, you know, the Lakers wouldn't give him the security. They wouldn't let him pick his staff. They like there's a lot of in order to take this job, you will be a yes man to certain things and you will roll with the punches and that what we yeah. dictate from the front office and from the front office. It's not just, you know, a random billionaire that wants to screw around. We've got a former coach in there with with Kurt Rambis, you know, dictating some of these things. And we hear here's the, the quote from former bad coach. This? Dan, well, no, still Heisen, current. Dan's last name. <laughs> Dan <laughs> Wakey? Wokey? Wakey? Wakey. Apologies. Um, Rambus then attended the Lakers pregame coaches meeting at Monday at Crypto.com Arena for the first time this season after previously only attending meetings virtually. This was later updated to say that he regularly attends meetings, so I guess he regularly attends virtually. This may have been the first in person. Uh, he advocated for the Lakers to use the larger lineups with Dwight and DeAndre according to people with knowledge of the situation, which has to be coaches. Um, and that was updated to say he advocated for the Lakers to use more traditional strategies, which is really funny to me. Um, <laughs> if So I just want to lay this out there. If going into the season, they said, we're only going to give you this one-year extension, you have to continue playing ball with us, or you're out, and then told him, you need to be starting DeAndre, you need to be playing Dwight and DeAndre, we very well may have seen some of these lineup decisions that we don't like and we haven't liked. And we've been saying, oh, well, Vogel would have figured this out a month ago. The Lakers would be better in the standings. How much of that is him versus how much of it is the front office? I don't have that answer. We don't have that answer. I don't know that we'll get that answer. But it makes me step a little back from all of the criticism that I think you can put on Vogel. The scheme stuff, I think they've done a pretty good job. I think they're making the most of what they can defensively. They're trying to hold guys accountable. They're offensively, they've been doing some smart stuff. That's there. The rotation piece of it, that I think is really where I'm saying like, hey, this this can be better. Like Avery Bradley doesn't need to be starting. Reeves should be playing more. Johnson should be playing more. Uh, DeAndre shouldn't have been playing as much as he was. And, and that element of it, I'm now questioning what percentage of that was, Frank. So it's a tricky situation. And from the outside, it's hard to, you know, really get a full analysis and fully assess what's going on. But I think no matter what the circumstances are, this team either needs to fire him or support him and keep him to the end of the year. Because I do not think realistically there's any chance you just get rid of him and then suddenly start getting much better. You lose a lot of defensive acumen with Vogel out. If he is out, you're looking at either... um, David Fisdale taking the head coaching job and then no longer being offensive coordinator. And we've seen when other guys have stepped into their shoes, how it can step down a bit. Or you're looking at Phil Handy being a first time head coach. And either of those situations, like, I don't think that makes the team better unless you truly just think this team's going to try harder. And suddenly, you know, like, I don't know where the opportunity is in, in some of it really is just the rotational stuff. And if that's really what you're going to change as the front office, you need to realize that and and have, you know, figure that stuff out. 
because if they are, you know, really getting rid of him and then want to whoever is replacing him, they're going to dictate that they play DeAndre Jordan. We're not going to see the answers like this isn't going to get better. So if the answer with like Fizdale is like, oh, well, he's going to play smaller. OK, we're kind of getting to that point. So I don't to me, either you either have to move on or you have to support him until the end of the year and make a change when you have realistic opportunities to improve via other available coaches and you give them a full training camp to implement stuff. Because in so many cases where we see coaches fired in season, the new guys don't even install their offense, their defense until the following offseason because there's just no time. So that I don't know, those are my two cents. It's just a crappy situation. And, and I would love to see them provide some sort of support for Frank in a way that like, I don't know if, if like if he's losing the locker room, that's partially their fault. Like they either need to move on or commit and, and move on at the end of the season. There's, there shouldn't be any in between because any in between just hurts you along the way. Yeah. And like back to what I was talking about with sacrifice, like it's easy to say and it's hard to, to accomplish and it's hard to mm-hmm. be a good teammate when it means that you individually have to take something off of your plate and, and coach someone else who is is got it on their plate now and have a good attitude and not you know and, and losing is tough it's you know this is the human element of the nba no one's happy after they lose least of all russell westbrook who is you know <laughs> notoriously salty imagine what he's like in a press conference and i'm not saying he's just the biggest asshole i really not i'm just saying you feel that that stuff is contagious too in a weight of the disappointment the frustration um, on just a human level and in a coworker's environment, you're gonna, you know, that's gonna seep into you as well on a human level when you're all trying to pull toward the same thing and you think mm-hmm. you're doing the right things, you think that you're, um, you're together and the yeah. results don't come, you know. And then the questions you get are like, Russ, how does it feel to lose again? Like, how does it feel oh to have God. a bad day? Like, you're, you're getting questions from people who, can't drop any of the plays you're running. They can't sure. describe the defense that you were playing. They, they, you know, these guys, you know, it's, it's, I can understand a built in frustration of like, I have to answer these questions that aren't real basketball questions yeah. on top of the fact that you're losing. So it's not a good look. Just about every Russell Westbrook press conference isn't yeah. a good look, win or loss. But when, when, you know, the team loses, especially if he's not playing well, you see yeah. that really, you know, shine through in his body language. And, that doesn't mean he's a bad basketball player, can't be a good leader or things like that. But it's, I don't know. I, I Others make more of it than I think I will, just because I kind of get where it's coming from and I don't think it's necessarily damaging. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't want to spend too much longer on the f- Frank stuff. We've talked about it throughout the year. I think you did a great way of summing it up that um, it's it's not a great process to fire a coach midseason without uh, an alternate plan. And on a deeper level, it's... To the Lakers, the Lakers' biggest weakness as an organization has always been the uh, the nepotism. Um, mm-hmm. It's 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 so familial that it's dysfunctional in unique ways that no other team seems to be. You know, and yeah, you got your you still, still got your Vivek Ranadive in Sacramento like meddling, yeah. but this is like. Linda Rambis is Jeannie's best friend. So Kurt, who I guess technically, you know, has basketball experience. Yes. As a front office and as a coach has not been good at anything since being a player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You give him the benefit of the doubt because he does know basketball more than the average person. But it's at the end of the day, it's your best friend's husband 
who and yep. you know they were never going to sign someone like Daryl Morey. They're never going to sign someone outside of the family unless they have some kind of tie back. Mm-hmm. And, and looking internally at the Lakers, like department by department, this is happening. Like <laughs> there are already existing you know, instances of these people who are where they are because of their connections or their bloodline more than because they were the best candidate available on the open market. And you're going to hit with some of those. Like we've seen the scouting department led by a bus have a bunch of hits and and, and be really helpful. And there will be times it works out, but there are going to be more times than not that the nepotism isn't helpful. And we see that, I think, big picture with the Lakers and you know, it's not a great situation to have, you know, the owner's friend's husband who oh like, like, and the thing is like, he could have been a great player. Like this, if, if it's Magic Johnson or an Alex Caruso, like, I don't care how good of a player you were, <laughs> how bad of a player you were, that doesn't you mean there. you're going to be a good coach. And it doesn't mean you're going to be a good front office executive. You can be a great engineer. It doesn't mean you're going to be a great leader. You can be a great uh, person in finance. It doesn't yeah. mean you're going to be good at uh, like I don't know some analytics job. And like, I, I, right now, I am. We we have a requisition out, and we are looking to hire a new person at Basketball Index to develop apps in a language that I can't do, and it's technically beyond my skill set. And so I have to lean on others who can identify and evaluate those skill sets to help me. I you know pick somebody who's qualified. Because resume alone, it's hard to really know if you've got the skill set or not for the type of thing that we're hiring. And connections, to me, don't mean anything for this because I don't need to, like I don't need to be your best friend. I need you to be the best person for the job. So being able to reach out and get outside help for some of that advice to help you evaluate what's going on can be a make or break thing. Like think about how many like at the college level, these athletic directors who maybe know football a little bit, or maybe they're just a business person, they have to help hire coaches for like all of these sports. Most of them they've never played. And and we're seeing that at, you know, at the NBA level as well. But it's just like these people don't know the X's and O's. They don't know like there's only so much that they're able to make their decisions off of that if you don't have those people around you to help with that, you're really going to struggle. And, and with the Lakers, we've seen that kind of, you know, one part of that hurting the other where the people with that acumen are the, you know, the nepotism piece of it. And yeah. that's leading you to the the coaching and the rotations and things like that. So it's, it's a really tricky situation. And I mean, you can, we can, we can save this for another time, but like you can make an argument, the Lakers are going to win a title sooner with, you know, the owner selling the team compared to them changing the head coach. All right, Tim. So this is what the Lakers fans need to do. You know, they need to look at whoever the bus family is marrying. <laughs> and hopefully it can, you know, can Jeannie walk by Daryl Morey at, you know, Sloan conference one day and then just kind of hit it off. I'm just, <laughs> this is terrible of me. I'm just saying. Are you? Keep, them in, yes. Yeah, no, not, it's if we want <laughs> to have a good future front office, we got to introduce these bus kids to some, some NBA heads and like hope sparks fly. <laughs> Because that's the only way they're getting in the building. We're, we're sending bachelors and bachelorettes yes. to to Laker team events. There you go. It could be a whole reality show. Oh, boy. With that, let's take a break. And we'll come back and hit a couple other things. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, coming back in, there are a couple of things I wanted to hit uh, real quick before we go. Uh, Miles Turner uh, diagnosed out with the stress fracture in his foot, I believe. Um, so it looks like he's probably going to be out through the deadline. Kind of changes the dynamic of maybe what it takes to get him. Um, I also, you know, briefly just want to mention Jeremy Grant, like being adamant that he wants an extension and uh giant role on wherever he gets traded. Um, I don't think he's probably going to get that, but I do think he still probably gets traded for something. Um, but that's certainly not going to be the case if he comes to the Lakers. So that was already kind of pie in the sky, I think, with the limited resources available. But, you know, Woj talking on ESPN about how little assets the Lakers have for like the third time in a row. He's not wrong. There are a few assets. There are very specific and maybe can get you and Eric Gordon if you really, really want to get a win now kind of guy and give up some youth. But the Miles Turner end of it makes more sense now because of, you know, he's he's on he's got one year after this, so he does have some time, but he wants to go and be a bigger part of another team. And and that's not going to be in L.A. either, although he does have the uh, opportunity to play alongside A.D. and LeBron, obviously. But A.D. long term, you know, Turner's like 25, I think. He's still a young player, offers the great synergy with protecting the rim and doubling down on defense and stretching the floor. So is this crazy that we're still considering Miles Turner? And is it worth the risk of this guy is hurt, legitimately hurt. Stress factors can you know, reemerge throughout time if you're not taking them, you know, and is having him for the last, you know, six weeks of the season in the playoffs worth the kind of upside a player like him could give the Lakers. Yeah, it, it really comes down to what his market looks like. Previously, there were other teams interested in him. They could offer more than the Lakers that are no longer interested. Indiana and other teams, and, and you know, this is basically what Woj is talking about. Teams aren't interested in THT. They do not value THT 
the way they value other prospects, the way we maybe value him as fans. And with the market, how it was a couple of weeks ago, THT in a first isn't getting it done. THT not in a first isn't getting it done. And the hope has to be from the Laker perspective that due to other teams not having interest and due to Indiana feeling they need to move on or they're going to lose this guy if they, you know, forcing their hand a bit that they'll accept THT who's been playing better recently along with a pick that is going to come probably going to be a pretty high pick. And, and, you know, if you're not protecting it or if it's only lightly protected, that's a pick that can be very good. 2027, perhaps like the Lakers are probably going to be bad by then. Maybe we don't know, but there's a good chance that happens. So you need to hope that the market has changed for Turner and then bringing him in, you know, think about really, what are we looking at here? He should be fine long-term. I, I, I believe, um, I don't have any inside medical information, but from what I understand, it's, it's really a matter of like, all right, you know, lower the stress and, and have him heal up and then he'll be okay. Long-term great fit, young guy, you'll have his bird rights. You can keep him around with AD long-term and, it allows you to like add a legitimate like top rim protector. It allows AD to play his best role defensively while still having him around and he could play center and be switchy. But, you know, the Turner AD combo, I think defensively is like a cornerstone anchor to your defense for a long time. And then offensively, Turner being able to stretch the floor allows it to work with AD in a way that other rim protecting centers don't. A Rudy Gobert a Dwight Howard, uh, you know, anybody in between those two, those guys generally don't fit with AD big picture, especially when you add in like a Russell Westbrook, who isn't a great spacer because of the shooting. And so Turner being who he is and what he's able to do is a unique fit. And just that unique combo that I think enables the Lakers for years to come to, you know, look pretty good. And then that allows you to pursue guards or wings who maybe aren't the best defensive players. And, Russell Westbrook has seen a drop off in his game. LeBron is getting older and we're seeing that kind of show a little bit more on defense. Having those strong anchors around the rim allows you to, whether it be now or two or three years from now, acquiring new players, be able to take on guys who are really good offensively that defensively maybe aren't as good. And, you know, I see the long-term fit and I see the short-term fit. And if the real cost that you're paying this season is you know, THT isn't around to play in games uh, for like the two weeks before Turner might be back, we'll say, for example. I don't know that that's a huge hit to the Lakers. THT has been someone who for weeks we've been talking about how his fit is tricky and it's, you know, in a playoff rotation with the Lakers at their best with AD back, like does he even fit in there? So like, you know, we like the, his potential, but the fit is just so poor that if you have the opportunity to get a guy like Miles Turner with an artificially low market due to the timing of his injury in a way that doesn't really hurt you short term from a performance standpoint as a team, that long term, you know, there's so much potential with this guy. Like when he's healthy, he's legit. He's like on our LeBron, like all-star team or right on the fringe of it and has been for weeks. Like he's like legitimately very, very good at basketball. And I don't see a scenario where the Lakers are able to return value better than him with THT plus a pick. So you can buy low and you've got some this season benefit and you have some long-term benefit. You've got, you suddenly go from a bad fit to a great fit in a different way. And I, you know, I don't see, I mean, I can see the arguments for why you wouldn't do this, but I would do this. I would make this move. I don't think the Lakers can. I don't think Indy will take it, but if you can, I would be making it. 
if Kevin Pritchard didn't hate us, <laughs> it would be more realistic. And the only reason I bring it up is because the it is so tempting of an idea to talk about, and it became slightly more practical that a package for what the best thing we could offer would could yield. Um, mm-hmm. Hey, and, and so, the Ramesses want to play big. Turner's big. Yes. It's not, again, so, it's on our side, I don't think it's, it's would yeah, you it's do this. Be, it's like would yeah. Indy with Duarte, with Brogdon signed long-term. They still mm-hmm. have Levert. Um, they have and guard wings. They, this, the Lakers have tried this. The Lakers have looked into this, and Indiana was not interested. Yeah. So you like really hear what you need to have happened is the market conditions change for them in a way that makes them accept this because they're not leaping for joy with this, and other teams aren't the most excited about THT as a prospect. Yeah. Um, so one last thing I kind of wanted to cover before we go was I say a lot of Laker fans kind of like. On on our same kind of uh, idea that they, there's a good team in here, and that if they can get healthy and they could rattle off a ten game win streak, that it could change the dynamic of the season. They could maybe get a four seed, play Memphis, or have a better first round opponent. Which I agree, if the Lakers are healthy, you know, I like their chances even as a lower seed, um, just because of the kind of top end talent that they can throw out on the court but mm-hmm. you have to get there first and i just wanted to quickly go through the schedule because they're coming up on their grammy trip um which is a six game road trip uh four five six yeah and i just wanted to see like looking forward we talked about strength of schedule getting tougher what's the stretch of games i'm not going to name the whole next 40 games but it's it's going to be tough to string this together but I do think if you were going to beating a couple of good teams in here, maybe they I do see a nine and one or an eight and two stretch coming. Um, so we just beat the Jazz, you know, good team, which most people would have probably chalked up an L um, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. Yep. The next game is going to be Indiana tonight before win. we record this. Five point favorites. That should be a win. That needs to be a win. Needs to be a win. Orlando, one of the worst teams in the league at Orlando. Um, it's the start of your trip. You want to start off to a good one. That should be a game where you can play poorly and still beat this team. Mm-hmm. But you need to not – this is a trap game to me where if they have coming off three straight – or two straight wins um, and and just don't bring it, that first game of a road trip, it could really set the, the trip off to a wrong foot. But I'm going to say win as well. And this is a three-game stretch, four games really, where it gets real tough, um, I think, or tougher. That if you can split these games, you're going to go into Miami, you're going to have a day off, you're going to go to Brooklyn, you're going to have Brooklyn, a day off. probably without... Uh, definitely without Kyrie KD. Kyrie and KD. Yes. Yes, so that, definitely. You know, that is a winnable game. That, you know, that game I feel decent about. Miami is probably a loss. But, bro, you know, uh, Indiana, Orlando, and Brooklyn, that's three out of four games that I, you can feel yeah. pretty good about. And then, you know, have a day off, go to Philly. And Philly's not the best, but Joel Embiid's a star talent. Um, Lakers don't have a lot of size to guard him. It's going to be tough mm-hmm. to throw in LeBron or go small in those, not, in those Embiid minutes. Uh, Danny Green and Matisse Thibel are currently both out. They may be back by then, but if those guys are out, 
that is a winnable game as well. I mean, Embiid's just so fucking good right now that yeah, it's really hard for me. Seed, so they, but I mean, bro, he's playing really well on he's, both he's sides of the really, court. Like, like legit, you know, top five yeah. guy. But like, could beat you by himself if you have DeAndre Jordan playing twelve minutes in that game. That's um, right. I, it's just it's not going to go well. But then it lightens up a little bit. You have Charlotte, who I think is a good team. Lakers did beat them in LA earlier this season. Um, but that's you know. Lamelo at home, getting up and down the court. Then you're going to go to Atlanta to end the road trip. Uh, and then Portland, the Clippers, and then New York before Milwaukee. So, man, if this is a good time, if they're going to put one off, you start looking at the rest of the schedule later, and you're getting Golden State, Utah, uh, Dallas within a couple games of each other, Golden State again, mm-hmm. um, Phoenix, Toronto. It's it's going to start to get tougher Uh and I think this is the stretch of the schedule where if they were going to have a get right couple weeks, this Grammy trip really could be it. I think seven and three is, is if they go worse than seven and three, I'll be disappointed. If yeah. they go better than seven and three, I think that's possible. And, and then we're really going to see this team. You'd feel going, good, but right? I think, yeah. yeah. But I think just seven and three, you lose, I don't know, maybe you lose to Miami, you lose to... Man, I think we can beat these teams. (laughs) Like, it it depends what the Philly injury situation looks like. Um, They can beat teams, but will they? Every team on here is beatable. Every every team on here, the Lakers heading into the game with with the spread of the game, they're going to be favored in a lot of these games, even though they're going to be on the road. Yeah, and it starts it again. That Orlando game is going to tell me a lot whether they're going to beat teams that they need to beat, or whether they're going to you know play down to their level. Um, whether they're going to try oh and force bigger minutes. Can I say Orlando's playing Philly right now? The score is Philadelphia 22 to 18 in the first quarter. Joel Embiid has 20 of the 22 points. <laughs> oh my God. And Mo Wendell, Bamba's not doing so well on the inside. Mo Bamba, <laughs> Wendell, they cannot contain him. Um, oh God. Yeah. So he's going to be. have AD back by then. Like if right. AD's back. I right. mean, you can be looking on a nine-one stretch here. I, I, this is a they're gonna do. I mean, AD has never been great at coming back at full speed. He always mm. eases into looking like there himself. Potential work ethic concerns with AD. Pot- potentially, yeah. I, we won't dig any deeper than that. But the, the, hopefully, he returns quickly and is is in you know full form soon. Uh, yeah. I have no information about that, but I believe you. Um, anyway, I just kind of wanted to briefly touch on the schedule and that just despite the Vogel news, the Utah win was big. Utah didn't play great themselves, to be fair, um, but mm-hmm. the Lakers did show glimpses of what makes them good in some of those defensive lineups with switchiness. Um, yep. Hopefully you can maintain while AD comes back. Russ doesn't kill you with eight turnovers a game and... You know, he doesn't need to score 25 either. And he's somewhere in mm-hmm. the middle, not killing you, um, giving you a little bit of advantages here and there. Yeah. If the Lakers end up in like a 6-3 matchup against Utah, potentially healthy with, you know, maybe Miles Turner. <laughs> I think you can easily see how they can pull an upset and then head on to the next round and, and be a strong team that nobody wants to play. There, there are some with both Phoenix and Utah. The Lakers being able to switch everything 
will be really important in slowing those offenses down. It's not going to shut them down, but it will, you know, those teams are worse against switching. And the Lakers are one of the teams that are equipped to be switching, just like just like uh, Golden State is. But those two matchups, like I'm not quite as worried about, um, even though the the seeding disparity might be there. Memphis, you know, th- these are good teams. Like I'm not saying these teams are bad, but there are vulnerabilities built into how they operate, and the Lakers are built to be, you know, exploit those opportunities. So just get healthy get on a roll here. Like there are brighter days ahead for this team. And I can easily see this going haywire. If Vogel gets fired, whoever the interim replacement is has to live by the Kurt Rambis rules of rotations. And then all of a sudden we see like the spacing struggles pop up. Let's say Fizdale's head coach. Then we see someone else being offensive coordinator and see a drop off there. Like it's easy to see how this can get much, much worse. Um, But we can also see it getting much better. So there you go. The duality Why would you say that? I think you say a Hail Mary or something. <laughs> Did you knock on wood? I have no no wood to knock on, Tom. It's, it's going to be fine. Hey, yo. We'll all right, man. Um, so that's all I got for today. Uh, anything else you want to go over? Not unless you want to talk about tacos, but... <laughs> I really don't. I've spoken my piece. If you, you know, I I will say... To your credit, you've said it's like Texas is a very different style to each their own. I guess mm-hmm. I'm more of a traditionalist in the taco realm. Yeah, um, it's a different food group. It's I would it's, say I it's don't the if... PER of tacos. Okay. I, I, I wouldn't quite agree Better than that. nothing, so, but so, not tacos. So for folks who haven't experienced what I'm talking about, it's not like like from a street taco standpoint, I'm with you. Like Like those are – the best of that. The way you'll see Tex-Mex, specifically in Texas, specifically like the Austin-inspired brands of food, and you'll see a couple restaurants like Torchy's Tacos or Velvet Taco, or there are other ones in Austin. They use the taco as like the vehicle for different flavor profiles. So you might get like a chicken tikka masala taco. You might get a brisket taco with, with some cheese encrusted on the outside of the tortilla you might have like a, a fried chicken taco. Like there's so many things that like I can see how people are just like, ah, that's not a taco. It's it's like different. These are different. I wouldn't put them head to head and say, which of these is a better taco? It's like, like when people come visit me in Texas, we'll go to the super authentic place and get a street taco that doesn't have cheese in it. And then the next day we'll go to velvet or torchies or something. And it's not like, oh, we had tacos yesterday. No, these are like separate food groups. <laughs> like in, in, so in that way, I think, I, I don't know that there's a full appreciation or, or awareness of that, uh, style of food that like, if that's not your thing, it's not your thing. And I've got no problem with that. I just, you know, there is a whole lot more outside the box thinking and a taco can be a whole lot more than a corn tortilla with uh, meat and cilantro and some onions and some salsa. Like there's, there's so many different things you can do with it. And it's like, just, it's like discovering like ice cream cake. It's like, shit, you can do this. Like there's a whole lot when you mesh together like Texas barbecue with, with Mexican food, or you mesh together like Indian spices and, and, and proteins with uh, Mexican food. Like there's a lot of cool, you know, really high upside, really neat ideas. Okay. That's that's me saying my piece. I it's okay. not, you know, I'm not hating on any other tacos. It's just a different style. I guess I'm just a simple man. 
simple pleasures. You perfect the perfect two-byte vehicle for food. You don't need to do more. It's perfect. Okay. The, the taco, look, I get what you're saying, you know? But back when you had chocolate, vanilla, whatever flavors, you know, strawberry, you don't need the the five-letter fl- flavor. They're like, oh, Tom, do we like on, it? Man. Is it more decadent? Sumo Have we gone too far? Roasted Have Angus we gone too far? With some red See, chili mayo, avocado relish, queso blanco, micro cilantro, Okay. And cheese encrusted flour tortilla. Come on. See, that's just like I get. I guess to me, it's just like Anglicanized Mexican food. <laughs> yeah. Where it's just I mean, like it's, uh, that's just like same like Chipotle's Mexican food. Like it's I not. guess by definition, it has the same ingredients, but the spirit is lost. Does that make sense? I agree with that. I agree with that, but I also sometimes I, I want to have a Cuban pig taco or a Korean fried okay. rice taco or fried paneer taco um, or Nashville Look, hot. There's a Korean Mex- Mexican place here called chicken uh, Kogi. It's amazing. Trust me, I get the fusion element and I wouldn't hate on a different style, but at its core, cheese does not need to be on a taco. That's the only point okay. I was making. And that's, yeah. we don't have to have more taco gate talk. <laughs> it's not going to divide the pot. We've, you know, drawn our lines in our sand. The Lakers X's pod. (laughs) (laughs) We've drawn our lines in the sand and we have agreed to disagree. I, I, all I'm saying is one of these days I'm going to, you know, meet me in Temecula, but it's going to be Texas and we're just going to eat a bunch of tacos and it's going to be great. If you want to fly me out to Texas to try tacos, I won't say no. I'll look at flights. You know. I'll take a look at flights. You're not going to convince me otherwise. Anyway, that's the Taco Gate finale for y'all. We appreciate you. Give us a five-star rating on uh, Apple, Spotify. Take a screenshot, send it to us. Get in that Discord. But until next time, we'll talk to you later.